episode 10 of the passive hang reaching double digits here thank you for all those out there joining me once again and today i have jackson lenan now jackson he's a guy i've been following on the gram for a while i got connected with him through a online group that i've been a part of and i had the pleasure of joining in on an online locomotion session with him last week where I got to taste his approach to coaching and I really enjoyed it. He really broke down the process and communicated that really well. So I walked away from that session not only feeling like I could do or understand more about locomotion but also more comfortable in teaching the process of learning locomotion and I think that's a really special quality to teach in that sort of way to bring more awareness to the actions of how we are doing it but also bring awareness to how we might communicate about explaining those movements to other people as well and I think this is Jackson's strength he knows how to communicate and explain things in a really clear and succinct way and I think he's done a really great job in bridging that in bridging that subculture gap from this uh, inner movement culture to the outer world so he does this through his his work you know as a as a coach through his company i've seen him do really cool things such as set up these dynamic work environments where he gets people to squat and hang out in the construction site in the middle of the day just bringing that movement that they need into their lives these basics when you know done well frequently just make you feel generally a lot better. Jackson's someone who's been in this game for quite a long time now, I think about eight years. So it was really good to hear from his perspective about this longevity piece as well, how to keep yourself going within this game and some of the truths and misconceptions that might surround a lot of people when you sort of stare from outside in, watching all these people do amazing feats not realizing all the hard work that's gone into it. So we get into the mind of Jackson. I think there's quite a few golden nuggets in there with some of the principles, which how he conducts his business, you know, just conducts himself. This is episode 10 of The Passive Hang. My name's Fayon, and here we go. Welcome to the show. Um, this, is a, <laughs> this is my little podcast, The Passive Hang. So yeah, it's just a little, um, I guess passion podcast where I'm using it to you know connect with other movers around there and find out a bit more about the stories behind all the maybe crazy Instagram footage that you see so yep. um, yeah I guess this week got my man Jackson up in the up in Brisbane right in Brisbane yep yeah so nice to have you on um, yeah and I guess I like to just kick off this podcast by just uh, handing it over to you and maybe just doing a bit of an intro as to, yeah, who you are, uh, what you're about. Sweet. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, I think it's, um, the more stuff that's put out there like this, the better. So well done to you for, for putting this out there and making the effort. Um, Jackson went on. Most people say Lennon, but it doesn't bother me too much. I've uh, now went on. Big reason why I changed my business name from Lennon Fitness. I didn't really like it for... 10 years so <laughs> recently represent movement for that's now me movement for change mm -hmm. um yeah i've been a coach or pt really to start with and then coaching for ever since i was um 18 and i'm 31 now moved up to brisbane 
just before I turned 19. Um, bit of a grind to, to start off with, like most people, you know. A couple of sessions here and there working for somebody else and a 50 bucks a week. Uh, it was a big moment when I could um, earn enough to pay for rent and, and uh, food in the same week. So started off there and then, yeah, I worked for somebody for two and a half years and then went out on my own when I was 21 and haven't really looked back since. Um, it was around 21 when I started my um, musculoskeletal therapy degree and in the same years when I started following uh, Ido Portal, down to his stuff, uh, YouTube clip training on the road. Then just got, started getting obsessed and then kind of without really meaning to, the two things just really uh, melded together really well of um, movement first approach and then learning about the body and the nervous system more uh, in particular. Um, and yeah, it's grown from there. So I guess my, my practice itself has gone from predominantly just rugby. I was I moved up here really to play rugby. Um, so, you know, I was doing the, the standard bench press squats, just getting as big as you can, lift as heavy weights as you can. But then I was just not injured, but I just, I couldn't move for shit. Like I couldn't touch mm. my toes. I couldn't do a squat. I had bursitis in both shoulders. Yeah, I was pretty fucked really. Got to, um, you know, I was up to about 102 kilos last season of footy, like pre-season. Neck was bigger than my head. Um, and yeah, so it's been a it's been a change. Like the the movement practice I was still doing through the start of like while I was still playing rugby, but since I've stopped playing rugby, that's where it's kind of really ramped up a fair bit. Mm. So that's a little bit of an overview. Yeah, it's a lot to unpack there. Um, I guess you know, early at the start, you mentioned you know you got into fitness really or into this industry at a really young age was that something that you were always really interested in um yeah i didn't really do i didn't do weights until i was in year 12 mm. and then i remember being at the gym i went to i went to school in sydney uh, for year 11 and 12 I went to joey's um and their gym there like that was really the first one that i'd been in and it was massive like had you know 15, 20 bench presses, like 10 squat racks, lifting platforms, everything. And so I just thought that's what every gym was like. <laughs> but um, so I guess I was pretty lucky in that sense. But when I started doing weights, you know, just get, I was training with other people and, you know, encouraging them to, to do more and stuff. And I think, I remember somebody just said like, you'd be a good trainer. I was like, oh yeah. And at the time my brother-in-law was teaching um, at, Australian Institute of Fitness, part of the course, but over in Perth. And yeah, just um, made the decision to do the, it was, you know, back that was eight week course. You pay like five grand or whatever, <laughs> and there's 30, 30 people in the class. But yeah, moved to Perth for a few months and, and did the eight week course, and that's it. Yeah, it's amazing, and um, like you like you mentioned, I guess it's it's pretty tough out there when you when you do like that, and then you just get started, and you're just um, you're just trying to make it happen, right? So it sounded like you had a lot changing, like you moved to a new city, you had this new job, you're just trying to make ends meet. 
um, yeah, it must have been a really interesting time for you. Yeah, well, I, I lived after Perth. I went back to my, my hometown, which is in Canada, the new country, New South Wales. And I was doing, like, the plan was to move to Brisbane for footy, as I mentioned. But I was, I was doing, um, you know, phone interviews and sending resumes and shit. Like, what do you put on a resume when you're fucking 18? Like, hmm. not much. And <laughs> just doing, not knowing really much what to say. So, had to uh, get to Brisbane. Like, I didn't have a job or anything like that yet. Like, nothing lined up. Like, I was living with my sister for the first couple of weeks I was here. Um, and my first job was actually at Australia Post. <laughs> did that for did that for two weeks. I got... I didn't know Brisbane at all. I'd, uh, the only time I'd driven a manual car was on a farm. So, like, there's no road rules. I hadn't driven it you know, since I'd had my license. And my run that I got given was uh, between 3 and 5 p.m. in the middle of the city and driving a manual van and delivering mail myself. And I fucking <laughs> hated it. The first couple of times, I had no idea what was, where I was or, yeah, had to get on the two-way. I was like, I can see this building and uh, this building, someone come and help me. And then a few vans <laughs> would turn up and take the mail and do it for me. I was stuck at that job until I nailed the run a few days in a row. I was like, I'm out. And then I, uh, and I stacked shelves at an IGA below where I lived. I did that as like night fill. So it was like between, yeah, I worked from like nine to 12 or eight to 12. I used to get, I'd mark all the food down that I needed. <laughs> and I'd, get, I'd, I'd get the food cheaper so I could afford it. Well, you were and, uh, a very growing boy, right? Not to hey, yeah. <laughs> Man, I was I was living off eggs and spaghetti, hmm. and and they see a twenty ki- uh twenty bucks for two kilos of rump just up the road. So I'd have that every week with frozen veggies. But yeah, that were my first two jobs, and then as soon as I landed a um a PT gig in Tenerife, um, I quit the uh, the IGA job straight away which is a pretty stupid move really because I wasn't earning any money as the PT yet because, you know, you only earn money when you train people. So, yeah, that's why I was on 50 bucks a week for a while. Wow. Wow. Um, <laughs> I can only imagine, yeah, that, that would have been a true test of, um, yeah, maybe like your stubbornness to just make it work, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, going home was never an option. It was, mm. um, yeah. So I was playing rugby up here, so like I was happy, but hmm. definitely didn't have much money. So I guess, um, you know, fast forwarding a bit, a couple of years down that track, you mentioned, you know, you started, uh, you enrolled into doing musculoskeletal therapy, and then that's when you found movement culture. Was that, yeah, what was happening dur- during that time? Was it like you started asking a bit more questions about what you were, what you were teaching and what, what you were learning? Uh, yeah, so like I don't, I always knew like I wanted to learn more because um, you know when you do the PT course, like anyone can fucking pass that. Like if you fail an assessment, like they tell you what you need to know. <clears throat> but I was always doing like the extra stuff, like learning all the muscles and insertions and everything that you don't actually get assessed on. But I wanted to know that shit. So the musculoskeletal thing was I just had heaps of time on my hands because you know you're training people early in the morning and then like at that time didn't have kids didn't have 
anything. So I was just like, now I got nothing but time. So I wanted to keep learning. And um, so that's why I started that. And yeah, it just so happened that was, you know, YouTubing and shit. And then I found Edo. Um, but yeah, there wasn't much doing. I, like, I didn't even know you could get coaching at that point mm. um, on this stuff. Like, I just, everything that I learned in the first few years, really, like, obviously developed a lot of shitty habits because I'm teaching myself. But yeah, I was just learning from watching and re watching and re watching, like, just clips. I'm like, fuck, what did he do there? Like, I'd slow it down. Like, I have to try and slow it down from the YouTube thing. And yeah, that was my first few years of, like, with locomotion handstands all that stuff but then it started trickling through to yeah me teaching people you know as you're learning something yourself and you're teaching it that's when you start to really able to like break it down and unpack it more um so yeah yeah i guess i guess it's funny how you mentioned how you were learning because that really resonates with me as well because you know I was on the road when finding all this stuff and, you know, you're going through all these old Edo blog posts and stuff like that. And <laughs> you're trying to like slow everything down, understand what's going on. And it's kind of funny because I was similar to you. Like for some reason, it just didn't click with me that maybe I could reach out to somebody and like ask for help or ask for coaching. I was just like, no, yeah. I, I just watched this and I just try it myself. And it was like a few years, I think until, yeah, like, until I came down here and then finally started connecting with people. And then it's like a whole nother perspective or world when you're like, ah, oh, like I didn't realize it was supposed to be like this or like that. Yeah. Like you don't know what you don't know. Hmm. And you think you're doing it well, but like it's the same as anything. Like you always start out like, you know, I don't need a coach. Like I can do this myself. Or when you start getting into programming or whatever, like I'll just write my own programs. But hmm it's never the same. So yeah, I, it wasn't until somebody has just in passing, they mentioned that yeah, Edo was in um, coming to Brisbane to do a workshop on that. I'm talking in and then, yeah, it was from that. Yeah, it was movement, movement X when he was doing the movement X workshop. It was him and mm. him and Odelia, Johnny, him, Odelia and Johnny, I think were, were here. And then it was, I forget what year that was. 2015 or 2014 maybe so who have your teachers been so far through this journey um, when I started doing the online coaching because I didn't do online coaching straight up with um, I didn't reach out straight away because after the movement X I was like fuck I've got a long way to go um, you know the very humbling nature of it but when I first actually did my first phase with Edo. It was between Edo and Johnny to start with, like when my first phase, that's when it was still just emails and random YouTube clips and like, you know, it was very primitive, I guess. Um, and then I went to just Johnny from, from that. Um, and then, so I did three phases, two or three phases that way. And then it went over to the new platform, which is, you know, around when he started before Conor McGregor, but like when the Conor McGregor thing started happening, it got way more popular. So they had to move to like a bigger platform. Um, then it was just Johnny and programming from, like Johnny didn't even do the programming, like they had a team of programmers and stuff. And mm -hmm. so I did like probably add another four phases or three phases through, and it was four phases through that. 
And um, but then when I was starting to get to um, more specifics, like I needed, I needed a lot more. Like there was three days in between feedback. Um, yeah, I'm not going to speak badly about it at all. I just needed a little bit more, and that's when I found. That's when I started reaching out um, to other people who'd, who'd gone through that system and who were ahead of me. And that's when I found Harry um, mm-hmm. from Holi- like Holistic Movement on Instagram, Harry Williams. And we just, we clicked pretty pretty uh, instantly through just chatting. So yeah, he's awesome. And now it's with him. I'm on my fifth phase with him. So. So you're still currently with Harry at the moment. <laughs> yeah, like I'll, I've always said, like I'll always pay somebody to program for me. Like I mm. think you. Yeah, that's probably a big piece of advice to any coach starting out is like invest in yourself. And because even if you think you know something, like somebody can teach it in a different way and it'll just open your eyes. Mm. And when, because the whole goal is to teach other people, right? And so you might understand it one way, but then if you're getting another point of view of how to explain the exact same thing, then that's just another string in the bow to, um, to then teach again to somebody else. Yeah. I love this perspective of learning for learning for the sake of trying to teach somebody else, because I think that it's like a real high form of understanding, right? Even if you weren't specifically aiming to be a teacher, like that is almost a really good perspective to put yourself in. And I think, I mean, we did a locomotion session together last week and that's what I really took away from it, from your style of teaching was this way that how you structured it for the process of, of teaching. And I really, I really, really enjoyed that. I thought, you know, it, it was a lot deeper understanding than just going, do this, do this, do this. And you weren't prod and you're prodding me to, to think about it more as to how it could apply for others. Yeah, good. Well, yeah, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. It's like, it's, it's one thing that used to piss me off in, um, like doing, going through my studies that you'd have, you know, you have people getting good marks, like, you know, your, your distinctions, HDs and shit mm. and exams, but they're just regurgitating information that they're reading from a textbook. And you're like, mm. you don't fucking understand that. Like, cause you can't explain it to me using any other words apart from what's written there. So mm. there's like, there's book smarts and then there's actual understanding. If you can't break it down and explain it three, four, five different ways to different people, then you don't truly understand it. Mm. And that's the level that I try to get people that I come into contact with of like, of not just for the sake of saying that you understand something. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know about that. Okay, well, explain it to me then. Okay, explain it a different way. And if you can't do that, then you don't truly understand it. Yeah. So, um, you know, during that time when you were doing, I guess, that formal education piece, and then on the other side, this, um, you know, this Edo piece, so um, I guess less less formal. Um, how how was that? You know, I guess those uh, quite different approaches. Did you have like quite conflicting ideas being thrown at you? Yeah, massively. But I was always, from the start, like, I used to cop shit from it from the very, from the very beginning, like in the, when we started doing clinics and treating people, because I was always movement first. Like, you learn, 
like musculoskeletal is awesome and I definitely still like it's called myotherapy now um same as any other practitioners like they're great but I saw early on when the more people you start seeing you see that they're coming to you for you to fix them and then expecting not to do any work themselves and I was like fuck this like that's that's not going to help anyone Hmm. so I wouldn't do any hands-on treatment with anybody unless they did work to earn that. So if they didn't, if they didn't change any of their habits, so like I'd always get people from the very beginning squatting and hanging, squat and hang, squat and hang. And I was like, I was the hanging squat guy. People come to you, you're the hanging squat guy. I was like, okay, I'll, t- I'll take that title. Sweet. But I'd always make them do that stuff. And then if they did that for the week, you know, whatever level it was that suited them. Like maybe it was 30 seconds at a time and just having their hands up against a wall or something like if that was their level. That's what they had to do for the next seven days. And then they come back. If they've done that, then I'll give you a treatment. If you haven't done that, then I can, I'm not the person for you. I love this. Yeah. I mean, this is very like non-traditional approach, right? Like normally people, you know, if they get clients, it's just like client first or the client knows best. But, you know, this sounds like you were, <laughs> you're almost testing them in, in, in a way, right? Like, are you willing to make the jump to actually make a change? Um, I guess. Well, like it's, it's, yeah. it's just madness in my eyes. Like it's, yeah, they're expecting like, say it's a half an hour treatment or an hour treatment. They're expecting life-changing shit in an hour when every other hour in the week, they're not changing any of their habits. They're still eating like shit. They're still sitting down most of the fucking day, you know, eating processed crap food, um, like no stress management form whatsoever. And then going, hmm, I'm not getting better. No shit. Like change something. Mm. And then we can talk about the, re- like, then we can talk about your treatment. Like, because majority of people then actually come out of pain without any, even any touch. Mm-hmm. But like, I, I rarely do hands-on stuff with people now. It's only if I know they're doing the work and I know it's just that little bit extra because, you know, hands-on treatments is still great. But I, I look at them like a supplement too, rather than the actual fix, you know, and mm-hmm majority of people that I was studying with, well, everybody I was studying with was the opposite way around. They're like the treatment first and then the movement will complement the treatment. I was like, no, well, the treatment's got to complement all the other habit changes. And that's why, yeah, the functional medicine framework of the four pillars like resonated so well with me about that movement, nutrition, stress management, and sleep. Mm -hmm. And do you feel it's um, still stuck in that place or is it sort of shifting to more towards this um, belief that you've been pushing with, you know, movement first? Uh, well, in my world, it's definitely that way, but in the general sense, it's definitely not that way. You know, everyone still wants mm. just that quick fix, like take the pill for this and do that and fix it instantly. Like, yeah, people belittle the amount of work it actually takes to to make change or to, you know, the world's not set up for a really a healthy, mm. healthy lifestyle, really, mm. is it? Like it, like it, I don't always say like it, it, it costs money, 
it requires a lot of effort. You have to be organized. It's not easy. Like then, yeah, as I said, the world's not set up for mm. a, um, a pain-free living, healthy eating, great sleeping, meditation every day sort of lifestyle. Like you've got to create it and mm. yeah, put the effort in. Um, this also reminds me about our session last week. Uh, again, um, you know, you went through how you go through some non-negotiables. Is this like a thing you go through with most people who you, who you coach and interact with? Like, do you have a set of, of non-negotiable, um, rules that you set out the expectations with? Uh, in, in movement, certainly like there's, I'm pretty, I'm a bit of a stick with, the. Um, technique and yeah, doing things properly mm. so but with everything else it that stuff comes like say I get somebody who's you know can't squat can't touch their toes struggles to hang from a bar overweight you know all that if I don't I don't just throw everything that at them to start because it's too much like mm. you tell them the changes that they is required to make and just they just go fuck that's unachievable but i've now really over the last few years started to develop that drip feeding method because i was i definitely was at a point where i was like all or nothing you know either you do all of this or you may as well not fucking do any of it so that, that approach definitely doesn't work so <laughs> it does with some people but but very few yep. so i've started developing a, like a drip feeding method of um, yeah, just ticking one thing off at a time and then adding layers, adding layers, adding layers. And then, yeah, over, you know, depending on, on the person, how much they're putting in and how much they're willing to change, whether it's over three, six or 12 months, then start putting in more non-negotiables. Mm. So, um, but in terms of movement quality, I have non-negotiables from the get-go. Yeah, I guess maybe, can you explain a little bit more about those? Um, you're referring to my golden rules, which I went, went over with you guys. With So yeah. two golden rules, which I have for everybody. And it's also a good way of putting the responsibility back on, um, the client or the student is number one, pain levels. You know, you always have, oh, I'm feeling it here. I'm feeling it there. I feel this or yada, yada, yada. Like asking a million questions over every single movement like listen to your body you make the decision once you put these rules in place the responsibility is then on the student to whether they do it or not and to what extent do they do it so number one pain levels if it's sharp pain and it continues to be sharp then we stop no point trying to push through sharpness we need to regress the movement and find a level that's suitable to you it's like a sharp grabby pain and then it goes away. We can talk about it. But pain, which I am okay with, is like that dull, achy, throbby sort of stuff that will dissipate within, say, 10 to 20 seconds after you finish your movement. Because a lot of the stuff, well, everything that I do, we're trying to affect connective tissue, joints, tendons, ligaments. So that stuff takes up to six months to adapt, six to 24 months, really. So... You don't want to be pissing that shit off. If you piss it off, then it's, you know, six to 24 months of recovery. It's always going to be hanging around. Which leads into the next um, 
next rule, which is trying to operate at two levels below your best at all times, which is like it's a hard one for people to grasp because you know people coming from all sorts like they just want to work hard a lot of them like crossfitters are the, are the worst for this like just want to fucking smash it mm. it's like look i'm not after your absolute personal best every single session if you're always trying to hit your personal best one session you might next session you won't it'll be just inconsistent and shit if you try to hit 80 percent, two levels below your best you're not trying to max out but it's pretty consistently getting better and better and better. Mm. It doesn't always work like this. Like in the harder the variations you go for, it's more like fucking little in increments, but you need to make it achievable. And like I battle with this every single session really of trying to, of not thinking I'm better than I am and going, mm. no, wind it back, listen to your body, do something like, because it's about the accumulation over time and holding your form, holding technique with whatever you're doing. And if you're always trying to max out, that's when that shit starts to slide. Yeah, I think you mentioned really important things there about one, you know, with the first point, with the time scale for all these adaptive yeah. changes, which I think, you know, even for me um, earlier on, I didn't realize how long, you know, this stuff really, really takes, you know, if adaptation takes like, you know, at least six months, it's like, wow, that's, that's a lot of time of doing the same. Yeah, it's um, the stimulus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But you're right. It's the, it's the same thing. Like keep going back to, you don't know what you don't know. Right. But mm. so people look at all the, the flashy shit and expect to be doing that you know, within six to eight weeks. So like, but it's not until they start. They're like, oh, this, this shit's hard. Um, you're like, yeah, and that's why you gradually build into it. Because if you're going from here and then you just try to go boom, you're just holding yourself back in the long run because it's only a matter of time before you run into those little niggling injuries. Yeah, and, that, you know, that's that's where that, that second rule that you mentioned, I think, is is so important, right? Because emotionally, you know, you always want to chase it so bad right like um i guess it's portrayed like that all the time as well you know in social media and stuff you're like okay like i need to keep on pushing myself like no pain no gain you gotta you gotta beat your your session before you know that's that sort of thing um but i yeah. i know definitely in my own training in that pr approach before maybe short term sometimes it gives you some quick wins but then then you hit this big bump and then yeah and then you either plateau or something happens and then you're back to before the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. In my, like, and the more coaching I do, like, especially with the online stuff or the, the more one-on-one -on -one stuff, it's the biggest, not like one of the biggest thing is managing people's expectations because mm. it's quite easy for them to get down on themselves. Like, you know, should be, handstands are a great example because handstands are by no means, linear and I'd pay someone lots of money if they could explain to me how the progressions actually track because you know you think you're killing it you think you're killing it everything's in place you've been doing all the work and you're having a you've had a great sleep you've eaten well everything's great and then you have your worst fucking session ever you can't even balance on two hands it's um and then other days you feel like shit and then it's like oh my hands are this big and they're glued to the ground. I can hold myself there. Mm. So it's 
but as long as your average, like as long as your average is shifting over the month, then you're getting better. But you mm-hmm. can't be really holding yourself to that standard of I should be getting better every single session. Because mm-hmm. it doesn't work like that. If it did, everyone would be doing fucking one arm handstands in three months. Yeah, I I wish I, I really wish. <laughs> <laughs> so do I. I guess, you know, other, other than that piece, you know, what do you see as normally like the most common misconceptions maybe about, you know, this whole piece of movement practice and and getting into it? What do you, what what do you see from the people around, around you getting into this stuff? Um, I think the, like a a big one is like, oh, you know, it's easy for you. Uh, It's like, it's easy for you because of this or like it's like that self-justification but they're really the people that aren't willing to put in the work i think feel like oh, fuck you like you don't know you don't know how hard i work you don't know how consistent i have to do this shit to get better at it mm. so that's that's always a big one trying to belittle like the amount of belittle the uh the achievement through yeah that that throw off statement of oh you know it's easy for you um and then on the opposite end of scale of people um, holding themselves back from getting into it. Oh, I can't mm. do that. Mm. Well, that's not for me, you know, and just already putting those, those limiting factors on themselves when, because, because they're comparing to what they're seeing, you know, it's like, like, don't compare yourself to me. Like, this is my, this is my life. Like, I love this shit and I put it, put it in daily, but you don't have to ever get to this level. But that doesn't mean that you can't start, start from here. You know, mm. we can still train for a handstand. Doesn't mean that you never have to, doesn't mean you have to ever do a handstand, but the stuff that you learn along the way is valuable for everything. Mm. So that's yeah. two opposite ends of the spectrum, but yeah, they're the common ones. Yeah. I think that's really important. Like, uh, because i mean i think those rear its head sometimes even um as you get into the movement practice right you're always comparing with others and kind of using that as a a relative place mark of where you're sitting and um i think that's a really good reminder as well just to really stay on your own journey and just just keep on plugging away right at your own practice like think, things things will happen like it, um just do what what you do and others will do what what they do correct and it's um yeah try to remove ego from it because that's Mm. like yeah big thing i guess i've learned the last few years because i definitely did it like i i didn't teach the extent of what i'm teaching now like the last two years it's really amped up because uh i didn't feel worthy of being able to teach the stuff that Mm. i've learned from say the Edo portal method or I was like, well, I'm not here, Michael, I can't teach you shit, Mm. but you know, you pay credit where credit's due and you put your own spin on it, put it out there. It helps a lot of people like to you or I, like Edo's a a common, common name. Like, you know, exactly what we're talking about, but majority of the population have no fucking idea who he is. Mm. So it doesn't, doesn't matter where the information comes from as long as it's getting out there and it's helping more people the way it's, you know, shit changed my life. Mm. So I think it's doing it a disservice to not actually put it out there. 
Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, that shift between at what stage do you start feeling comfortable of going all this stuff that you're learning to start teaching it to others? Like what, what happened there? Like, did you feel that you needed to reach a certain level or know a certain thing before you decided to do that? Yeah. But the level that I thought I needed to reach was never like, as I said, I was comparing myself to it. I was like, well, like I'm not him. So like, I can't teach this shit. Mm. And it wasn't until like, there was, it kind of happened in waves. Like there was more and more people. Um, the yoga, yoga teacher here in who owns a couple of studios, Julie Smurden, she's, um, she got me to do my first workshop at her uh, Shri Yoga here in Brizzy. And she's been pushing, she, like I, I coached her um, for say six months and she was like, you've got to do a workshop. Like more people need to know this stuff. I was like, eh, like, I don't know, like, and then, yeah, first workshop, had 30 people there, did it on pain. It was a um, three-hour workshop. And then I was like, this is what I want to do. I love this. <laughs> did another one. And then it kind of snowballed from there. Like more, all around the same time, people, like a few other people who were, I guess, already into the social media thing or like had their own studios or gyms or whatever, were saying, you need to be teaching more people. But then, yeah, I'm glad that I got the little nudge that I needed and really um, gone exponential from there. So I guess how do you um, define or like, yeah, I guess who, who do you teach now and what, what are you teaching? How do you define that? Good question. Um, how do I define that? It's like of my brand shift um, last year was also a big one. Because, you know, people have that tendency or people that you meet have that tendency of connecting what you do to who you are. You know, what do you do for work? So you're an engineer. Oh, you get that preconceived <laughs> idea. Yep. Like, what the fuck do you know about me from my job title? But I was like, I, you know, I used to say, like, I'm just another PT because I couldn't be, like, if you're worth my time, then I'll go straight into it. But, you know, just to throw off, I'm just another PT. But now I don't say that. I say like I I own it because I guess I didn't feel I was worthy before that. I don't know. But now I say I'm a movement coach and just really own that. What's a movement coach? Well, then get into it. Mm. Um, and what was the other part of your question? Yeah, I guess um, how do you explain what you do to, to others? Oh, and, and what do I teach? Um, yeah, the explaining part I'm still still working on. Um, but I just explain around the four pillars. I just say it's a holistic framework, mm -hmm. you know, based around movement. Um, and I teach people to get back to movement. Again, first, first goal is pain-free movement. And then mm -hmm. I teach people to do cool shit because it's all about doing the cool shit and looking good, right? Um, <laughs> And what do I teach now? Um, so I'm really enjoying the online coaching. So I'm getting more and more one-on-one um, -on -one students through that. But I also have a, uh, a group component to that where I, I put out two, two sessions a week with videos and stuff for uh, online community. And so there's 130 on there now. Wow. Um, and so I've put... So the, the free membership, like the free um, 
channel, they get one session a month. And then the $25 a week channel, they get two sessions a week. So I think in the, um, like those are, those are constantly growing. And then, um, then I do the one-on-one -on -one component stuff as well. So mm. that's the main stuff what I'm doing now. But then when all this COVID business is over back in, I can start back with group classes in person, um, mid June. And then apart from that, like one-on-one -on -one in person, and then also, also teach uh, once a week at a yoga studio, just on a just one night a week, um, just and that's all locomotion. Hmm. Um, that class pumps, and also some corporate stuff. So my main space is set up at a, a corporate office at an engineering company. So I train them, do a group class with them once a week, and then I've got another another company. Um, in Stapleton that I do one afternoon a week as well. Hmm. So fair, fair bit on. Yeah. It sounds like you're juggling quite a lot. Um, and I think for all, <laughs> yeah. the, all those listening as well, like um, for Jackson's company movement Four, like uh, you just went through it <clears throat> pretty quickly, but I think um, you know that I've been watching that grow and it looks re really exciting. And I guess for the, all those people out there who may be wondering, you know, what's all this movement stuff about and what maybe wanting a taste, a taste of this coaching, um, you know, beyond the videos, I guess that's a really nice entry point with the way that you've, you structured it. I guess people can just join in for free just to start. Right. Yeah. And that's the said, like the, the set, like I, I put out good sessions on the, um, for the free content and like I post a, another movement on there weekly. So, you know, it always takes people like to dip the toe to start with. They don't even have to do it. They just watch, see what it's about, hmm. try it, you know, feel stupid a few times. Like this is actually quite hard. Start asking questions hmm. um, and then, yeah, get into it at your own pace. That's the online component. I think it's been a good, like obviously I was forced into it. I've always, I was considering doing it for a while, but this has forced me into it. It's been a good way to reach more people. And who do you feel is the type of um, uh, the type of people coming into this online community and wanting to learn, you know, this this movement stuff? Do you do you see sort of similar commonalities with the people coming and messaging you and showing interest? Yeah, like to do the online stuff, like you definitely have to be a lot more uh, intrinsically motivated, um, and it's definitely not for everyone. Like say, you know, the people that are the busy people, the ones that always have heaps of shit on, like they, they just, they do just want to turn up once or twice a week for the hour, hour and a half and just be told what to do. So they don't have to think as mm. much. And I get that. Like, that's fine. Like, um, but the people doing the more online stuff where it requires them to actually do the work like they have to set the time out for themselves to do it watch mm -hmm. the videos learn how to do it so the people reaching out and actually doing it and paying the money to do it um, are probably a lot more self-motivated or those ones that are willing to put a bit more work into to learn and i love that yeah awesome um there, there was one thing that i wanted to ask about um before as well is like about this this role of finding finding teachers or good teachers like you mentioned before like you know in your journey you started getting into coaching then you're looking around before you found harry i guess what goes through your mind when you're 
looking around at your peers around you or teachers? And then how do you, how do you, you know, differentiate or decide and actually go, Oh, you know, that guy actually knows what he's talking about. Like maybe I could actually learn from him because I mean, there's heaps of people now like doing all this sort of stuff, right? They can't all be good. So yeah. What, what goes through your head in, in terms of assessing that? There's definitely a lot of good people out there. Like I think it's the same as anything. It's just who you resonate with. But Mm. for me picking somebody like it's, it's pretty easy to pick out the people that are full of shit. Like, and integrity for me is number one with everything that I do. Like if you say you're going to do something, like you fucking do it. Hmm. And if they're putting this stuff out there and they're not practicing it themselves, like if they're not walking the walk, then you're not like, I don't want anything to do with you really. Hmm. Like that's not like people put like 30 days to 60 second handstands and like they're just in it to make the money. And money's definitely like you have to earn money to live and like if you're profiting from something that you love. Fucking amazing. But I'll never put anything out there that is just to make money and I don't think it's gonna help people. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas a lot of people are putting that shit out there. So like with Harry, like that man lives and breathes it, frees it, like he doesn't He's the same as me. He won't tell you to do anything that he doesn't hasn't done or doesn't do himself. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's how I determine like a who I surround myself with, but b like if I'm gonna pay my hard earned to somebody to coach me, then I definitely have to walk the walk. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it they become the inspiration as well, right? Like it's like oh, they've actually done it. Like the there is a strong value in direct experience, right? Like um, apart from just learning the principles and things like that to have actually have done it, there's a different understanding. That's like, that's most of it for, for me. Like, you know, the book smarts are one thing, but can you put it into practice? That's, that's the main thing. Like, can you talk to somebody and translate what's in here to making it happen? And there's, uh, yeah, there's a lot of like, what, man, I'm like, I'm bottom of the run when it comes to most of the shit that I'm practicing in terms of movement abilities. But uh, I definitely back myself to explain things uh, better than most because there's a lot of people that are amazing at shit, but they can't teach it. Mm. I guess that's an important distinction as well, like this between practitioner and teacher, right? Like that's kind of two different skill sets. Definitely. And look, um, you know, as long as people are having a crack, like power to them. Mm. But yeah, I guess the main thing is you got to find somebody who you resonate with. Mm. So I guess just a couple of questions. Um, left because just mindful of your time as well i mean you mentioned that you know you're running around everywhere you got your own business set up um you know whenever i see you on the gram as well you got this really solid practice but then you also have a family like how do you how do you just manage everything and you know keep that energy to keep on keep on going i'm really interested to find out i've got an amazing wife that's for sure um but no family's Health is number one with family just straight underneath it. Um, 
because if you're not, and I, and I try to explain this to people, it's like if, if you're not healthy, you can't look after your family. Um, but yeah, family is a, is a big one for me. Like I don't, I prioritize that stuff. So like those, if I haven't been home, like there's only, there's one day a week that I don't, um, when things are back, you know, back to normal, there's one day a week that I don't see the kids cause I'm gone early and I don't get home until, you know, 830. Mm. But apart from that, I'm there every afternoon or like all like weekends is all family time. Um, in terms of fitting in the practice, like I definitely uh, train when I'm at home and I just make that part of everyday living. I think it's like aggressive role modeling is, is, is a big one. And just if, if my kids grow up around me doing handstands, doing the hanging, doing everything, like it's, it's just their norm. Mm. Like it's um, like both of my daughters now hang like a one year old and a three year old. Like Lottie does the three-year-old does chin-ups, um, <laughs> like, but but it's not from me saying do this, do this. Like, I just do it, and then they want to get involved. Mm. So I I try to, to, especially on the weekends or like afternoon sessions. Like I've got a a deck with a hanging space. Like you've probably seen some stuff on the gram me mm. training there. Um, yeah, they're always around when I'm doing that. And those sessions, it's it's definitely about managing expectations. Like they get the rest time won't be exactly on, on the money. Like you've, hmm. it might be five minutes in between, but you're still getting it done. Like an hour session could take up to two and a bit hours, you know, but that's just, you're hanging out at the back, having fun, hmm. do, do some training, just make it work. Um, but the rest of the other stuff, like the business stuff and, and, and fitting, you know, the training is just prioritization. Um, yeah, people, I don't, like, busy isn't, busy is not in my vocabulary because it's, mm. it's a nothing word. Mm. It's, it's, it's all about prioritization. So if I have to get up earlier to fit in a session, like, for example, like I got a bit on today and I want to get home for, for lunchtime and have lunch with them and do nothing all afternoon with them. So I did a session, a uh, strength session before my first client at 5 o'clock this morning. And then I had another hour gap. I fit in handstands um, because I knew I had this on. And then I'll do some programming and stuff after this before I get home for, for lunchtime. So, mm. yeah, fitting it in, man. And trying to get as much sleep as possible when you can. <laughs> I think that's the secret ingredient, right? Like, um, especially when you ramp up all this training, I've certainly really re realized, um, especially in these last couple of months when I've been at home a bit more, just the value, you know, you get that extra hour of sleep, man, it's like you're on steroids. <laughs> I think it's like, like it, it, yeah. Yeah. It, it's a drug. If you could, uh, if you could sell it in a pill form and all the effects that sleep have, everybody would buy it. Right. Mm, mm, but, uh, yeah. So with the sleep thing, like, also supplement mag like magnesium before bed and uh and cbd yeah awesome well yeah i guess there's a there's a bunch of all this other stuff i want to ask you but maybe we'll we'll leave it for another time when we can we can hook up because i know you've got a lot on today but um i guess final question is um for the, for all those people that are following you on the gram as well i know you have a sort of daily ritual um i guess i want to ask you you know what is your throwing accuracy in the in the bas basketball ring I cop a lot of, I cop more shit about this than anything. 
and <laughs> I only film my first shot of the day. I've got it in. I've got it in twice. First shot. So out of I, all these videos that you've done twice, all the videos I've got it in twice. But it's the first shot. Like I work straight in. I just film it. It's my first shot, and then I don't post the other ones. But you know, I get it in. Like most of the time I get it in the second or third shot. Like I'll get it in within five most days. And also buy one of these fucking little rings. They're very bouncy and it's a light ball. It's harder than it looks, right? But yeah, I cop, I cop a lot of shit from that. I'm going to start posting trick shots. I think this is your highest form of movement practice. So I hope it really catches on, you know, and it um, inspires a lot of other people out there to work on their throwing aim. (laughs) Yeah. A few people have already got um, mini rings to practice. That's cool. But, um, you know, for all those people that are interested in finding out more about you, um, yeah, I guess what's the best way to connect and um, reach out or, you know, find out more about movement for. Yeah. Graham's, Instagram's the, the best one. It's just my name, Jackson Lanan, um, L-E-N-N-A-N. Yeah, send me a message on that. Or you can check out the website's going to be changing in the next few weeks. But at the moment, um, it's just got the online shop. It's got the, the different options for my online community. And that's just movementfloor.com.au. Mm. Um, yeah, reach out. I'm more than happy to answer any questions and, and help anybody who's willing to put the work in. Awesome. Well, yeah. Thanks so much for your time, um, Jackson. Um, yeah, as I said, still, yeah, really interesting chat and got, got a hell of a lot more I would love to ask, but maybe we might save it for a second edition. What do you say? Yep. Sounds good, man. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Well, yeah. Thanks for today and I'll end it here. And that's it. That's episode 10 of The Passive Hang. Thanks to Jackson for sitting down with us and having that chat. And thanks to you guys for sticking around as well, all the way to the very end, making it to episode 10. Like I mentioned, there was a lot in that. I probably want to question him a bit more, especially around those four pillars. I found that really interesting, really simply put, but I know there's a lot of depth in there. But I guess we'll just have to wait. So thanks for sticking around, guys. Remember, If you like this podcast, please subscribe, share it with a friend. really helps get the word out there. And if you want to connect with me, you can reach me via Instagram at Fayonp. That's at P-H-A-O-N-P. Love to hear from you. So we'll be back with episode 11. Thanks once again, guys, and I'll catch you later.